Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name's Sam Moses. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. Hello. And today we're going to talk about a really fun, often misunderstood topic of dynamic range. Range, 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 range. <laughs> Did you hear all the dynamics I just had there? Sounded like the whole like Pee Wee Herman thing. It's like like word of the day or whatever they did. And, like the couch loses his shit in the corner of the grandfather clock. Like yes. grows arms and just flails into yes. the air. Pee Wee Herman, a nightmare show. My nightmare. like two episodes of that. That's what that reminded me of. So yes, we will be talking about dynamic range. What is it? Is it important? Do you even know what it is? And what is the difference between dynamic range and headroom? So Matt, mm. are you ready to unpack this? Take it out of the suitcase. A weird moan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna unpack it. Uh, yeah, we have this episode titled "Dynamic Range: What Mastering Engineers Really Want," and then I had that weird moan over there. So, <laughs> <laughs> what a girl wants, what a girl needs. The Christine Aguilera. I think so. I don't know who I that is. Think so. I just know that that. I just know that song should have died <laughs> with that genre. Well, it's still in my head, so it's a hit. I wonder what the dynamic range was on it. Probably. Oh, who knows? Anywho, <laughs> what mastering engineers really want. So this is my definition. So I could be completely off base, but this is how I define dynamic range. Dynamic range in music is essentially the vertical intensity or space between the loudest and the quietest parts of an audio, of audio in a given sample range. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in short, it's just the space, like the distance between the quiet parts and the loud parts. That's your dynamic range, and as you squash more into a limiter, as you and Sam has a great Jenga metaphor. <laughs> Is it Jenga or Jenga? Yeah, the game. The, Jenga. The block game. The game. Yeah. Jenga. Yeah. Sam's got a great Jenga metaphor for that. Um, but yeah, as m- more you just slam into a limiter or uh, compress something, you're taking those peaks and valleys and you're just you're bringing the low parts up and the quiet parts down, essentially, or squeezing them out. And... You are making a brick. <laughs> so that's uh, that's kind of the quick and dirty about dynamic range. And in my opinion, um, it is more important to mastering engineers than digital headroom or DBFS or uh, decibels full scale. Um, so like the little meter you have on your, your headroom meter on your DAW. Digital volume can really always be turned down and you can always make more volume. Um, but what eventually you run out of is dynamic range. So just because you keep squashing that thing into more and more and more and more and more of a brick, eventually you're just going to hit a wall and <laughs> there's nothing left. There, there's nothing left there. So, Sam, you got a little monologue for dynamic range. <laughs> I know you are a big fan of dynamic range. You're like, yo, Send me that sucker at zero zero, but leave me ten dB dynamic range. Yes, that's correct. Let me let me get a little monologue going here. So 
Dynamic range. The reason I like dynamic range is because often I can make things a lot louder than the mix engineer uh, because of the mastering tools I have that are made specifically for getting things louder or compressed or feeling bigger perceived loudness uh, than a mixer can do during their mix stage. And I like dynamic range not because I'm one of those guys who's like, we need to have dynamic range day and music's only good if it's dynamic. It has nothing to do with that. It actually, I'm a pretty loud guy. Most of my masters I make are pretty loud. I think a recent Um, quote of yours is minus three is the new minus five. Exactly. Minus three is the new (laughs) minus five. So that's where I'm taking things. Minus three, minus four. That should be on a mug. I like that. We'll do that for Christmas. But basically, I enjoy dynamic range because it sets me up to use the proper tools to give my client the end product they actually desire because I'm able to do it better than they can, which is why you hire me um, or a proper master engineer. And the biggest thing with dynamic range to me is once, if you don't give me dynamic range, you have probably limited uh, your mix on some level using a limiter, which limiters are wonderful tools. But most people do not understand, not only are you bringing the peaks of the mountain down and the valley parts up, you are also taking away information that is in the song. So the Jenga metaphor that I briefly mentioned in another episode, but I found it, people really enjoy it, I'll say again quickly, is basically if you're playing Jenga and you have, it's the wooden rectangle tower-looking game with uh, blocks. As you pull blocks out from Jenga and you put them on top, you're basically, if you don't pull the right blocks in the right order, the whole thing collapses. And that is exactly what happens when you start limiting. It starts removing things. And if you do not limit correctly, or not just limit, but stack your signal chain correctly at the mastering stage, as most, I'll say, great master engineers do. They stack and use pieces of gear or plugins for a specific thing, basically a sweet spot. Um, if you don't do that correctly, the whole song can basically fall apart and fall over, and it sounds like a floppy mess or it distorts, or you feel like you've lost all energy and vibe and all the cool moments that were in the dynamic range mix. Uh, are now gone. So, dynamic range to me is super important. One of the most biggest misunderstandings is people ask me what level they should take it to, headroom, and they think headroom is dynamic range, like Matt was talking about. But they are two totally different things. Um, I can turn down your song from 0 to 10 or 15 or negative 20. Um And that is just talking about headroom, actual headroom DBFS, which is on your meters. But I cannot um, unbrick your song (laughs) if you've smashed it to death. I can do some tricks, expanding or multiband to reintroduce dynamics, which I do sometimes for people. Um, Or if it's super compressed, I can add some EQ to it to 
recreate new peaks and valleys, which is a little trick you can do. Um, but basically, if you stick your master engineer with no dynamic range, you have basically compromised your your song's potential. Not just for loudness; it could be you could want it loud or even more dynamic. But if you give a mastering engineer something without dynamic range, you are basically tying their hands behind their back. And this mm-hmm. isn't even a. I want to be so clear to mixers: like I am not against loud mixing or using compression on mix bus or even using a limiter on your mix bus. It's just the amount of things that I think Matt and I probably receive and I just judging by other master engineers I talk to that it's just overly smashed, overly limited. Um, it's really, it comes from a lack of understanding of what dynamic range is and a lack of understanding that mastering engineers um, are terrific at um, getting things loud because we have the proper tools and experience to do that. So... That is my brief monologue on dynamic range. I love it because it allows me to make really loud masters. If you give me your mix that is already smashed, your master is going to come back sounding quieter, not quieter, but not nearly as full and big and impactful, um, even if I make it super loud. Mastering tools... I swear by it just because I own them now, like proper mastering limiters, mastering EQs. They are made to handle high volume. They are made to be clean or to store, and they're made to be clipped, and they have super high-end components, and everything about them is just made to allow me to make it as loud as I want or as dynamic as I want or still make it loud, and it feels like it's dynamic by doing different kind of tricks. So that's my opening monologue. What are your thoughts, Matt? Uh, what I've seen, um, and I, I would say it's a common occurrence and a not common occurrence because there is a, uh, to get to this point, there's a bit of a price threshold. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but say if you have people who are doing a lot of their mixing uh, on boards or something like that, um, be very mindful when you go from the analog into the digital that you are not clipping your converter and that you are giving yourself like a solid amount of headroom, whether that's like, whether you're bouncing the whole mix like through the board into the computer or you're just doing like tracks or whatnot, just be very careful. And a lot of what I have received that is slammed comes out of a board slammed hits a converter, uh, they're not necessarily paying attention because you can go 14 to 22 decibels above uh, digital zero uh, in the analog realm. Well, all of that is just going to be brought down by however much over digital zero you are at right? and essentially limited and squashed. So I've received some stuff that is pretty lacking in the dynamic market. So I'll get something with maybe, uh, I think the most difficult material is between minus five and minus three dB of dynamic range. And your hands are tied so much that there's very little 
expanding, harmonic enhancing, or anything that you can do. And you're just going to be thickening that already massive brick wall. Um, I mean, you also... I, I get more into automation there because... I'll find that I'll have to say like in a chorus, it's like everything just ends up being the same volume. So it's like the chorus, I'll have to uh, push the level up a little bit. Well, in doing that, you're once again losing dynamic range and you're digging into that even further. So, I mean, you just have to be really careful that you're not digging into like low end information any more than you have to. And, uh, be pretty mindful to what your limiter is doing. I'm a pretty big fan of uh, the FabFilter Pro L2 as my final limiter, and you can solo the delta on what is being removed by each of the limiting characters. <clears throat> and I'm a pretty big fan of that. It's treated uh, it's treated everything pretty well so far, and you can tell it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be sacrificing some low end here if I do this. Maybe I'll go to like another voice or maybe I'll play with the attack and release a little bit just so that this can get through or, you know, who knows, maybe like if I want something a little bit more punchy, maybe I'm going to allow a little bit to be taken off so it like emphasizes a little bit of an attack. Um, You just have to make sure your release time isn't dialed in so that the next time you do have a like a low end hit or whatnot that you're not still like mid limiting the last one and that essentially everything has been released to the point where you now can have that attack happen again. Um, So you just get into these really weird issues whenever you don't leave enough dynamic range, whenever you send stuff off for mastering. Um, I view this in a very... I view dynamic range uh, in a very specific and strange way. And I view it in the terms of physics um i've I've kind of made these analogies before like you ever have a problem in life it's like okay well one of the first things you do in a physics problem is well i i don't have these variables well what are my givens and i know this and i know the force of gravity and i know this is air resistance at sea level or at this altitude they're saying at so like you can roughly figure some stuff out via like the known givens that you have uh through physics. Well, I use physics uh, when it comes to dynamic range. And uh, another really, really, really short uh, funny story is over in uh, China where I go. I think they actually do this in Europe. Instead of calories on the back of a nutrition label, they call it energy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just a funny way to look over. We had a, we had a friend come over uh, from China and uh, she, <laughs> we said, do you want like something? It was like, I think like junk food or kind of like, do you, can we get you like any cookies or something for your hotel? And she's like, no, 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 has, uh, has too much energy. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what? And then you, you finally like remember, it's like, oh, well, calories, they, they mean energy. So I view <clears throat> dynamic range in the form of energy. And it, the, the two terms are very, uh, call it swappable. And with dynamic range, essentially, the dynamic range that you have is your potential energy. Mm-hmm. So if you know in physics, you have potential in Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut. Um, so 
your potential energy is the energy that you have yet to use. And your kinetic energy, not Connecticut energy, your kinetic energy is a potential or is the energy that you are currently using. Um, for example, if you have a ball that's at the top of a hill, that hill and the weight of the ball and the friction of the whatever surface of the hill is that's all your potential energy and then all the factors that can control uh, how much energy will be released and where. And when the ball is rolling and expounding all of that energy through the force of gravity and then friction, etc., cetera, uh, that is essentially being turned from potential into kinetic energy. Um, so much in the same, I view dynamic range and the dynamic range that you have if you leave a mastering engineer or mix engineer, whoever, um, if you leave them 10 dB of dynamic range, well, I view that as I have this much energy of the song to work with. And by pushing the song in various ways, you're able to see I probably should ha not exceed this level of dynamic range. It's, it's, it's at least what I do. It's just so I can kind of get a heartbeat on where the song is, where it sits, and uh, where it wants to go and how it wants to breathe. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, do you want like it to be taking like full breaths? And I, 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 I say that a lot, and it's like you can generally just tell where a song wants to be sonically. If it wants to be loud, if it wants to be... Uh, left pretty quiet. I'm working on a pretty darn dynamic uh, jazz trio, uh, like 11 song LP this week. And with how with, with the way that some things are mixed, which are great, which is great, it's just with the nature of the genre of music, some stuff becomes a little more dynamic than um, you'd like. So you push gear just like a little bit harder. And so sometimes having like like squishing that dynamic range and trading that energy for control could behoove the master, and it is. Mm -hmm. Like for a mastering compressor that maybe I, uh, call it, have a quarter dB of gain reduction as a max, uh, typically, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost at two sometimes. So, but with transparent mastering compressors and whatnot, you're able to do that type of compression in mastering at that stage and really not even hear anything. You're just able to do a little bit of taming. Mm -hmm. So um, that that's another way I look at it. And sometimes you'll trade that energy for control. Sometimes you'll trade it for loudness. Sometimes, um, and sometimes you just don't have it. And so it's just kind of like techniques on how to build it in when it is not otherwise there. So I think that's I think that's my monologue one. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So I know for the record though, I don't use uh dynamic range as like an actual measurement. Um like I will look at it and I'll say, okay, how much am I using? But in general, I will do all of my um I will do all my measurements and metering uh, with RMS. So, mm -hmm. but it is kind of like the true uh, currency yeah. that you're trading and <laughs> maybe buying and selling and perhaps even sending back for mixed revisions. So, 
All personal taste. Yes. Agreed. Well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do we just like exhaust our podcast in 20 minutes? We might have. Maybe. The only thing. I mean, it's an. Oh, oh. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely an interesting topic. And a lot of this stuff, I think, needed to be like brought to the surface just because right. <clears throat> I'll have tons of clients being like, okay, how much headroom do you need me to leave? And I'll say, typically I say between three and six dB. However, uh, if you think things sound better sonically louder than that, please just give me enough dynamic range because I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to say, yeah, sure, three to six dB, and they're just going to set the output of their limiter that they probably have on the master bus to minus three or minus six, somewhere in between there which is terrible because you're just turning down and eating up any dynamic range that I could have possibly even used. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another problem I run into sometimes. So it's like it's you almost have to always mention dynamic range, at least I do, Yeah. or I feel like I'm going to end up like requesting a mix revision and then that kind of like messes up my scheduling because, I mean, I'm running a relatively tight schedule and... It's like, okay, well, now I got to shuffle this person in front of you. This takes you a day, but then this next project was, I don't know, three songs, five songs, six songs. And it's like now I'm like a couple of days or so down the road before I can get to you. And so, but it's not fair to you because you have your deadline that you agreed to based on mastering. So it just, it can just kind of screw up a lot. Right. So. That's kind of where I am on dynamic range. I have a lot of people just send me, I'll ask them to send me like their mix with the limiter, whatever they got going on the mix bus, and then send me one without anything on it. Um, I'm doing that more and more just because I've found I actually can give them a better end product with nothing on it. Um, mm. So I'm doing that more and more. And as in without like a final limiter, yeah, without a limiter, without any compression or anything. I'll I'll have them keep an EQ curve on or something, but I'll have them take off even a compression. Um, just because I found that I've been able to do a better job of what they were going for, um, which is you know, it's you're saying that you have them send that to you or yeah, you deliver that to them. No, they send it to me. Like the okay, mixer. Okay. I thought you yeah. were saying that you deliver without like a final. Limiter. Oh no no no, <laughs> definitely a final limiter. Maybe even two. Watch out. Um, so here's here's something interesting that I've been running into. Yes. Um, and it might just be settings via my Hilo. And if anyone has any information, I am all ears. So. I've been trying to not really have to do a lot of balancing with a limiter when I get back into the box of like song to song. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to have it pretty darn consistent and I'm getting really good at it. But some songs that you know like the client wants it to be pretty darn loud. So I'll be back in the box and <clears throat> I'll just put the Pro L2 on that, uh, that printed track mm-hmm. and it has the true peak uh, thing that gets rid of all the inter sample peaks, yes. which are essentially just the 
it's essentially just the peaks that happen in the analog realm um, that the sample rate isn't high enough or maybe it'll never be high enough that it can really catch that and keep it at digital zero. So it's the stuff that goes above digital zero but is not always caught by like uh, the full-scale meter or anything else. So, And you'll get a lot of streaming companies and whatnot. They'll they'll complain about intersample peaks and you'll be clipping their uh, conversion processes and encoders and whatnot. So... Um, like one of the requirements for master for iTunes is like uh, you don't have any intersample peaks, and then they require, and then they recommend that you submit stuff at minus one, and then <laughs> somebody on uh, I think Instagram said Spotify is requesting minus two, and that was a that was a fun thing. <laughs> um, yeah, you remember that conversation? I do. Um, so I'll put the I'll put the pro two on that printed track channel. And then I'll turn on, like, the whole true peak thing, like, making sure that, like, it's sampling everything so that it's, like, catching everything that's going over. And I'll be, like, uh, plus, like sometimes I'll be, like, plus 1.3 mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, holy crap, I thought, like, everything was getting caught. Like, the most I've ever had before this, which has been more recent, is maybe, like, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.1 that it's catching. I don't know if you've seen that. You'll use that better maker, so it might it might hook you up a little bit. Yeah. What are you typically seeing? Are you talking about like the actual true peak? Yeah, like you come back into the box. Right. And then you put I I, I think you use the Pro L2. Yes, I do. You and you I think you use the L2. Well on the Pro L2, it'll tell you what's going over. Right. And if you turn on the true peak. It will catch all of that. Right. So that people don't get angry. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, I have the True Peak on all the time, but <coughs> when here. I didn't have it on, I mean, I found before I had the Pro L2 when I was doing Mastered for iTunes, um, I had to turn my final output about a dB or two uh, lower because it was letting through so many inner sample peaks. Like the L1, L2, mm. L3, anything from Waves, UA, pretty much every plugin that doesn't have a specific inner sample peak technology, however they're doing that, oversampling, mm. but doing it correctly, um, is letting through quite a bit. So once I got the Pro L2, I could make things about a dB louder and not have stuff sneak through according to the... Apple's round trip plugin that you use for Master for iTunes to audition things. Yeah. Once they encode what, it. What were you typically seeing would be the like the actual peaks that were not being caught by your converter? Uh do you remember that value? I mean it was usually like a DB or so over. Okay. So that that's where I am. It's yeah. just like, man. Because typically it was like 0.2 or 0.3. So I wasn't yeah. overly too concerned. I'm like, man, did I start doing something crazy? And I guess I just started going louder. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you just started so. going louder. Which is, if you go on, I mean, if you do Spotify and you turn off normalization and play anything in the top 40, it's all showing overs by like the true significant true peak is like, yeah, 1.6, 1.7 on all the rap loud stuff. So no one is following any guidelines or recommendations. No. Um, 
just want to put that out there, 100% not being followed. So what happens if you start submitting stuff without the true peak? You're going to get people getting fussed at? Well, if you submit stuff without true peak, it'll play back louder on Spotify. Yeah. Because you're going to have overs, and those overs push you louder over. <laughs> yeah. Which builds up distortion, and we perceive that as louder. And that's where I think yeah, a lot of people... That's kind of where like I'm... I'm I'm getting right. with this because nobody is who's like in like any of the top charts. Right. Nobody is not distorting the heck out of something. Right. Yeah. You can't hear I had a it client on cheaper speakers for the most part. But like in my room, yeah. when I play on Friday, I'll spend like an hour usually every Friday listening to new releases. It's just it's just a uh, crunchy, crunchy in the choruses almost every song. Yep. So. Crunchy in the choruses. Yeah. Yeah, I had a client a couple weeks ago ask, uh, no, this was, uh, this was probably a couple months ago. Uh, one of their references was, uh, was Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of wanted volume there and tone there. I probably had about six female projects, female vocalist projects this year. And every single reference is Golden Hour. Oh yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a cool album. I like the album. I'm actually seeing, uh, I'm seeing her on September 20th. I think she'll be in Charleston. So, kind of excited for that. Yeah, that'd be but great. They, uh, yeah, and so like on one song or something like that, they'll be like, "Hey, it's distorting here, here, and here," and say on one song. And I'll be like, yeah, have you listened to Golden Hour like on headphones? And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, go get some headphones like in your studio and go listen to Golden Hour. It distorts like nuts. Yep. So it's like, even though some parts are at minus seven, minus six, it's like there's some parts and choruses and whatnot and bridges and, I mean, they're just crunchy. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's worth it to go invest into a solid pair of headphones and just like give stuff a listen and know your references and whatnot and know what's going on. But yeah, that was, that was my big question is like, is anyone really using a true peak limiter who's doing stuff at like that high of a level? My guess was always no, because I use a true peak limiter as to not distort the encoder when I really don't think a lot of people care about it. Right. It's just another medium you're sending to a format. And what's interesting is, I mean, I tell people this and I'm the same way, is like you hear what you want to hear and people assume if it's coming out of Sterling or some big box mastering place, they just assume they would never distort music. Like they just think, oh, they must just get it really loud and really clean. And once you debunk that and tell people, like I do that all the time, it's like one of the most classic ones to me is pianos on iPhones or cheap speakers distort all the time when people, if a track is heavy piano based, because a piano is so dynamic and has such a full range that speakers have a really hard time dealing with piano. Um, and I remember mixing and still it's, it comes up probably a couple times a year is people be like, oh, the piano sounds like it's distorting on my iPhone, you know, at this part in the song. And I just say, well, go listen to all of Adele's records. <laughs> and yeah. every piano part in almost every Adele record is distorting and breaking up the speaker. 
And once people hear that, they're like, oh my gosh, I've never heard that. And I love this album and I've listened to it a thousand times, you know, and it's like, you just dismissed it because it was Adele and someone said, this is the best song in the world. And so you ignore what you want to ignore and accept what, you know, groupthink is. And it's completely normal, but it is fascinating because I do this too. I'll go listen to older records that I thought were perfect or something. And I'll go back and listen. A lot of times I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like absolute trash. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like I just like this because all my friends liked it or I just liked it because I saw them in concert once. And then, you know, I, you just justify everything in your head. And that's to me with distortion, when I tell people like what you're saying, I'm like, hey, the top 40, it's just crackling the whole time. And then they finally go listen to it in a decent set of headphones or on monitors, and they're like, oh my gosh, I've never noticed that. So it's, of course, a choice. Like, do you want your music to be like that? Because I can do it. I just turn off True Peak Limiting, and we get there. Or do you want it, you know, to be cleaner forever? And I think it's, you know, to me, it's it's up to the client's choice. I mean, it's not... Mm. I can educate, which I think is part of... A job of a professional is to educate people. Um, but then it's also within life, I believe, whenever you voice your opinion, you have to be ready for the person to say, yeah, I just don't care about that. And then you go, yeah. okay, that's fine. And then not get bitter or hold something against them. Because at the end of the day, we're being hired. We're a service provider. And we can yep. educate and give what our thoughts are and kind of help clarify between the platforms and what people read and FAQs that come out and, you know, it's our job. Well, at least I think it's my part of my job is to, to educate. Maybe some people would say it's not my responsibility. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, if the client wants it to distort or be as loud as X, Y, and Z album, then I do that. And then when it distorts, you know, they're happy, I guess, or they don't care or they don't even hear it because they don't listen on anything decent after the one time I tell them them to, just to, for them to understand that distortion's super common now. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, but once again, like distortion isn't necessarily coming from a lack of dynamic range. <laughs> you could have a very dynamic song that just doesn't have inner sample peak on, and it could still distort. Um I think that's one of the things that people don't understand about dynamic range is that you can make really shitty sounding dynamic range music that sounds terrible, that has no impact. Um, And I think that gets into a little bit of this topic, but it's another topic or maybe not even an episode of you can make loud music that sounds awesome and loud music sounds like crap. You can make dynamic range music that sounds great and dynamic range music that sounds like crap. And I think from what, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, but there's just a lot of bad sounding music in general and it has nothing to do with limiting or dynamic range. It has to do with there is an oversaturation of accessibility to people who can make music and distribute it on the same platform that the professionals are on. And so it blurs um, it blurs what we talk about when we talk about music and when we talk about loudness and when we talk about dynamic range and compression and normalization, all these other things get tied into the topics, which makes it confusing. And so 
to me, when we talk about dynamic range and loudness, it's not really a matter of um, an issue of whether there's a sweet spot, you know, should it be negative eight for everything and that's where music sounds best. It's, does the music sound good? Question mark. And wherever that is, and I think you'd agree too, Matt, you talk about it breathing or, you know, where it sounds best. And that's a lot of times I don't look at my meters at all until I'm quote unquote done. And then that's where it is. Like there's not really a target. Even when people give me references, I won't really even measure them. I more so listen to them and listen to the characteristics you know, what's the shape of it? How does it impact? How does it feel when it gets to the chorus? What do the bridges feel like? How does it flow from one to 10, you know, sequencing? I'm listening to those things before I pull out a meter and go, oh, well, let's see here. It's a negative four RMS and, uh, you know, it's LUFS here and peaking here. That's one of the last things I do. And really that doesn't have a huge impact on what I've done already. That's just a final thing because... To me, it's really easy. I can just adjust my ceiling or tweak a couple little parameters right at the end to make it, you know, line up correctly with the reference. But I find that within this conversation, it gets lumped into, well, if you limit something, it sounds bad. No, it sounds bad because your mix is bad. And your mix is bad because the sourcing's bad. And the sourcing's bad because your song is bad. And the arrangement's bad. Like, it's not <laughs> a limiting issue. It's not a dynamic range issue. It's not a digital headroom issue. It's not a normalization issue. It's not Spotify turn my music down. It's your music is bad. And that's the reality that people don't want to look at is there is a lot of bad sounding music that has saturated. (laughs) It is cold. It's fine. I mean, it's true. This is just the honesty that our industry needs to hear is there's a lot of bad sounding music and it's not because of digital headroom, dynamic range, loudness, Spotify, YouTube, normalization has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, we have lots of people making music that then gets distributed to pro platforms and that's where it gets confusing. It'd be like Hmm. letting, you know, letting like me who plays a pickup basketball game once in a while also be able to play in the NBA sometimes, like be in the same court and in the same game. Cause that's essentially on Spotify. It's like the same platform where you mm. have the best artists in the world. And like my wife could just make a song tomorrow and be exactly on that same platform. And we've mm-hmm. kind of, we haven't done a good job yet, mainly because it's digital and digital is new and we're in the wild west of everything digital. But that to me is part of a big issue of the Sonics and, Loudness wars is is not really even about loudness wars for a lot of people. I think their issue is there's a lot of music that just sounds bad, <laughs> and but they've lumped that in now with it being a normalization problem or a limiting problem or a dynamic range problem. It's got nothing to do with that 99% of the time. It's got everything to do with there's just a lot of crappy music out there that gets thrown in front of us and then we blame other things for that because we don't want to face reality, which is we're all somewhere, which is great, but not all of us make great sounding music. And you can eventually then make great sounding music. Like what I made 10 years ago sounds terrible. And I probably thought it sounded good then, but it wasn't good. It was bad. Like 
I can listen to it and go, yeah, this is bad. It sounds terrible on every speaker system just about. It only sounds good on a Logitech surround sound system because that's what I mixed it on. Like, <laughs> if you take it away from that. It probably that, even sounds bad there. <laughs> exactly. It's passable on that. <laughs> but if you take it off that, you can't hear anything. Is the passable part really just pity? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> just me justifying that. It's Pity it was way <laughs> with nostalgia. Exactly. But it was bad, and I'm fully willing to say that it was bad, and it's bad music, and it was on Spotify and SoundCloud, and it's bad. It sounds bad, and that's fine. Like, that's just where I was, and now I'm not there, and now Is my... Is it still up there? Um, It might be. You might be able to find Is it. Is it Sam Lightning? Oh, no. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Not that. No. If you de- if you listen to this episode and you get this far, you DM me and I'll tell you where you can find it. I'll go find it first, but I'll make sure it's still there. But you can this is awesome. uh, Yeah. You DM me and I'll send you a link to some of my first stuff when uh I wanted to be a rap star. <laughs> Do I dare say this episode is dynamic? <laughs> yes. So anyway, that's my ending monologue rant. And uh for everyone listening, I'm not poo-pooing your music. I just want people to understand that when we talk about something like dynamic range or limiting or headroom or normalization, don't lump in a bunch of other problems into it that have nothing to do with it. Um, that is just not the way we solve things, and it's not the way we educate people and move forward as a whole to make better-sounding music <coughs> for everyone to enjoy. <coughs> Dropping the microphone. Don't actually drop it. I'm not. It's ish. and what I said earlier about the whole like true peak thing and everything. That's yes. not. Don't please don't take that as a free pass to go like return your client's music. That's like just gonna clip the shit out of somebody's encoder. Yes, that is probably there for a good reason. Um, but I mean, if you have a client who's willing to be experimental with it, go ahead, do that, and then report back the results of what happened. I mean, it'd be. A totally cool experiment to, I don't know, at least take empirical data from and say, okay, well, what was the difference between A and B? Send us the link and we'll go listen to it. That'd be awesome. Right. Um, So, yeah. I really, I like how this episode started with dynamic range. (laughs) Kind of got to like, holy shit, we're 20 minutes in, we don't know where to go. And then we pick back up with some questions. Yeah. Talking a little, you know, a little dialogue, a little little back and forth. yeah. About limiters and, like, how do we make this whole thing happen? Yep. Talking into don't make excuses for crap music. I love it's it. Good. We did this it. Is, this is a dynamic episode. Like, yeah, just not not completely a joke. Isn't that great how the universe works? It's like Jenga. Jenga. <laughs> did you ever do that video? I did not. It's on my to-do list. You should do a video when this episode comes out. I could do that. That I can do. I can get that. Like the done. actual, like, hey, here's how Django works. Yes. This is not the- like how it works, but how it works in regards to dynamics. Yes. As you pull information out of the bottom, stacking it on top, essentially to make the waveform louder. Yep. You're making the whole thing less stable. Exactly. That's Eventually it, man. It'll fall down. That's it. That's it. Anywho, I imagine somewhere amidst my rambling, some music faded in from the distance it's definitely faded in 
Yeah. If anyone needs any podcast music, Sam does a great job. Thank you, man. Makes everything. I do. We have not reused one intro or outro. No, we have not. Since starting this on January 15th of 2018. Yeah, 18. Yeah, that's a lot. I think this episode will be episode 46. Oh, my goodness. So, That is crazy. Thank you, everyone who listens. Yeah, seriously, thank you. I think we're like somewhere around like 65,000 downloads. It's stupid awesome. I could not be more pleased with where we are, and we're here for the long haul. We'll be here. If you have a topic you would like us to talk on, feel free to chime in. And, I mean, hit us up on Instagram. It's where, like, everyone is telling us that we're either good or, like, man, y'all suck and you should give it up. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> so, anywho, once again, I feel like some music has probably been playing in the background. Mm-hmm. So, we'll, uh, you know, give this bad boy a wrap. Wrap it so. up. <laughs> All right. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all having. Have a darn good one. Sam, cue the music. Cueing. Cueing.